Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode 151 of The Glow. So good to be with you in this moment right here and right now, coming at you in the evening today on the East Coast, just after 8 p.m. Eastern. Some technical issues getting going, so about 8.21, 8.22 p.m. in the Eastern Seaboard. Welcome, Leanna. Welcome, Jackie. Welcome, everybody. When you're entering, please share where you are. Leanna joining us from Down Under, Australia. Jackie from North Carolina. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Please share where you're from. There's a heart button. There's a wow button. Express yourself. Annie, our wonderful producer and beloved, is in the house. Amara is here, our special featured guest today. I'm going to bring her on in just a few moments. It's so good to be here with everybody. It's such a blessing to share in this way. Welcome Hampton in Colorado, right? Such a blessing to be able to share in this way. Phyllis, Phyllis in South Carolina. It's such a blessing to share in this way, to be here together. And your your thoughts, your comments are welcome at any time. Feel free to ask comments, questions, join the conversation. It's this is live, this is spontaneous, this is real, this is here, and this is now. And this also airs on iTunes, it airs on YouTube, it airs on SoundCloud. So you can find us in all these wonderful places. You can find us on the replay here on Facebook. I want to let you know before we get into the conversation here that um, we have a silent retreat coming up. Uh, just put that out today. So the registration is out for August 31st to September 3rd, what we call Labor Day weekend here in the States, and um, I'll tell you more about that as, as we go forward in the coming weeks, but you can register now, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to being with you for that, and there's just 10 spots available, and um, silence, as Amara knows, is a great way to get connect with yourself and touch with, get in touch with yourself, realize who you really are, and express it in the world. So let's bring Amara right now. Adding, connecting. Yes, there you are. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you feeling? Super. <laughs> Excellent. Amazing. How about so, you? Good. It's morning your time. Yes. My time. So a special time for the Bali people. It's like after 8 o'clock, like 8.30 a.m. We're, we're 12 hours opposite. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you guys are okay in the evening. Yeah. We're just getting started. You guys are living in the past. Yeah. We're living in the past <laughs> or the future or something. I don't know. We're I'm all in the future. In the, we're all living I'm the next now, morning. Right? Yes. We're so here right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so okay. you're, you're doing some amazing stuff. Um, I actually met you in Bali. Um, the first recollection of meeting you was in a line to the ecstatic dance. And we had some conversation <laughs> and communication and, um, you know, just started to tap into more of what you're doing and what you're sharing in the world. It just felt a really deep resonance and really, really appreciate what you're yeah. sharing and really appreciate some of the conversations that we've had just interpersonally one-on-one -on -one. and just felt like it would be great to share some of what we shared, you know, just share this as I, I had this feeling a lot of times, which is kind of the impetus for what I'm doing with this, these episodes. It's like, wow, these conversations are great. Wouldn't it be great if other people could hear them, you know? And then it's like, oh, well, actually they can, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I have this experience when I, I talk to my friends, our, our really deep, courageous conversations, as I call them. I think, wow, we should just be 
sharing this, you know, all the time. So, yeah, gearing up for that when you can, yeah, get our intimate things and our and our deep thoughts out to the world. Thanks for opening up that space. You're welcome. I love that deep, deep, courageous conversations. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting thing, uh, courage, because people think of courage as like, oh, you know, fighting someone on a battlefield or whatever, or some kind of, you know, some kind of boxing match or something, which I guess has its, has is a, is a, is a form of courage, perhaps. But like, I think the kind of courage that doesn't get talked about or noticed about is this courage mm -hmm. of like being able to really express yourself from this deepest, most authentic, vulnerable place, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's what you've kind of dedicated yourself to. And that's what you're like, like inviting people to, to step into. Right. So speak to that a little bit. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah. I always say that um, strength, you know, if we look at strength, it, like a coin, it has two sides and one side is that side we typically think of being very committed you know, being courageous in that stand-up kind of way. And the other side of strength is vulnerability. And it's more that yin aspect, you know, that, um, that's, that's receptive. And, and it has a fragility. You know, it's fragile, but it's not a victim. So I describe it as like strength being um, both the pyramid and the rose. So the pyramid is like the strongest thing on the planet. You know, it's built out of the strongest substance. You can't argue with a pyramid. You know, it's not going anywhere. It's like, boom, it's present. It's strong. Um, and then flowers are our other most, they're, they're so um, valued. And we use them for our funerals and for our weddings. And, you know, we spend a lot of money on them. But a child can kill a flower. Uh, but it has this incredible strength. So that's the other side of strength, this vulnerable side. So in the work that I do, I mean, my, my llama used to always say that, um, or not always, but she used to say that um, awakening is only for the most courageous. That's a, that's a line that they say in Tibetan Tantra. Uh, it's only for the most courageous. So I create a field or work at a field of this that really invites in the courageous ones to come forward. And They'll feel it in my work because it comes to the point where you get to the edge and, you know, you fear that commitment or you fear that vulnerability that's coming up and then you have to make a choice. Am I going to be, as we say, courageous and meet the unknown, you know, meet the what I don't yet know, um, drop the ideas or identity that I built up around something that now I see isn't serving me and am I going to step into the, you know, kind of off the cliff you know, how do you get yourself to go off the cliff in a, in a good way uh, mm -hmm. and not flinch? <laughs> a lot of my, you know, training in, I, in, the, in the Tibetan Tantra, um, I was, you know, worked in, uh, was studying Mahayana and Dzogchen, Tibetan Tantra. Basically, they teach you not to flinch at the moment of transformation, you know, um, that, that courageous moment. Like, don't, don't go... <gasps> <laughs> don't, don't, don't um uh the other way i would say it is um what's the term i'm looking for contract don't contract yeah. yes exactly yeah. yeah exactly so uh yeah that's what happens when you're courageous here one of my uh clients just did the last workshop we did he said um <clears throat> well he said his, his big he said most valuable workshop he'd ever taken his life he's a 
he happens to be a Tantra teacher in another country. And he said, it was like walking yourself into a knife. So that, like, so that, <laughs> so that's my new term now. It's like walking to the knife. Here that's we go. a good testimonial you know. for you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, can I advertise that? I'm not sure people are going to sign up. You know, it's like, I hold the knife and I'm just like, come on, come on. And, um, yeah, I said, it was the yeah, best thing that ever happened to him. Uh, got really real, got really real, and had the courage to be more of who he really would love to be so that he could mm-hmm. be of service in those ways. Oops. Mm-hmm. Well, you talked about letting go of beliefs and ideas, right? Yes. It, it seems like the most, on the most fundamental aspect is letting go of beliefs and ideas about yourself, right? Yourself, the world, others. Mm-hmm. And it's all kind of interrelated. Like if the way you the way you view yourself determines how you're viewing others, and how you're viewing others determines how you view the world. And right. So what do you yeah. what would you say are some of the, like the core, like the kind of fundamental beliefs or ideas that if you uproot those, you sort of uproot the, a lot of the other stuff that's connected to it. Yeah, um, these are those core beliefs that are I'm not enough. You're not enough. The world is not enough. It's not okay to be me. Um, everywhere I go around the world, the sentiment is always the same across all cultures, across all experiences. I just want to be me. Um, but people are so afraid to be me, and they're really afraid to let other people be themselves. And what they mean is they want to be their evolutionary self. They want to be free to learn and to grow and to evolve. And, yeah, I'm going to get succeed, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fall down, you know, instead of being ridiculed, they want to be supported. And they want to go, oh, right, that, let me learn from you with you on that moment. And um, they just want to be free to explore themselves and to, you know, and to have a um, supported experience in that everybody wants that. But we're so uh, afraid of being that and letting others be that and it's what everybody wants so uprooting those beliefs i guess around um you know being authentic is dangerous or the real core one is um i'm not good enough uh this this whole planet isn't good enough it's not going well it's not going to be okay you know or it's even it's even dangerous to be myself. It's dangerous to speak my truth. It's dangerous to let others do the same. That kind, those are the real limiting Um, Mm. survivalistic fear based lack based perceptions. Mm. And what do you find that people are afraid of? Like if I be my authentic self, it's, it's too dangerous to be my authentic self. Like what are they, what are they afraid of? Uh, a lot of people, well, now we're not so much afraid of physical things. And a lot of our fears are in the psychological realm. You know, we're not afraid of, if I myself, I'll get, you know, dragged out in the town square and persecuted. Although that is still happening on the planet. But mm-hmm. it, it's moved into a, you know, I'll get rejected. I'll get abandoned. And people really, um, we're not we're not trained to deal with rejection in a really positive way uh, yeah. and there there is a very positive way to embrace rejection uh, again it takes a lot of courage and it takes a reconditioning of how you perceive things and it's kind of along that line of 
wow, if I get rejected in this way, how awesome, because now I'm free to go where I actually need to be. That's so true. That's yeah. so true. But, but I think the, the problem is that we think we know better. So, I mean, I can definitely look at this in my own, in my own past. Okay. Where, like, I think I know what's best. I think that I'm supposed to be with this woman, right? So mm -hmm. she rejects me, and um, it's, it's, it's horrible because I'm supposed to be with her. She doesn't understand, you know? And we don't, we don't, we don't yeah. just, we don't, if we could just fluidly move with the, this no is a yes to something else that's taking us to where we want to go, then we're in, we're in alignment with truth. We're in alignment with the flow. We're in a, you know, what, 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 we can use various terms, awakened consciousness and so forth. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's where the ego comes in, right? The ego thinks I know better than, than life. I know more. I know the way it's supposed to be. And it's not, and of course the ego always thinks it's going wrong. You know, I know there's this resistance to the moment. Yeah, beautiful. What you're talking about is, is a hot topic in my field right now. It seems to be coming mm -hmm. up. And this is where we really fall in love with the potential of what is more mm -hmm. than what is. Yeah. And it is within our human nature to, um, you know, to evolve and to grow and to make the best of. You know, we tend to like that. It's a creative force. Mm -hmm. that says, hey, you know, you and I, we could be doing amazing things and we could be like this and like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it really needs to be founded on what is. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, when we are really feeling into hype, you know, real hyper-presence and really looking at what, say, this woman in this scenario, you know, what is she really saying? What is she afraid of? What does she value um, and what does she keep pointing to? And if I, you know, if I just work with that moment to moment, what does that bring up in me? Then I don't get ahead of myself into this projected potential. So we do project onto people. There's a positive, we could say, or a beneficial aspect to that. And then there's a negative aspect to that or a less useful aspect. And what you're talking about, I think, is that, you know, say the man is like, but come on, you know, <laughs> be what I want you to be, you know, so that we can be what I want us to be. Yep. And is she willing? Does she have the capacity? Um, does she have the desire? These things mm -hmm. need to be deeply addressed before, mm -hmm. you know, it's talking like, uh, using like, you're kind of like, you've got this cake in front of you. And you're like, I don't really like this cake, but if we just fix this and this and this, it'll be an amazing cake. Mm -hmm. you're, you're actually cheating her of the experience of somebody just really liking her cake, you know? It's mm -hmm. like, just go find a cake you like. Then the potential is the icing. You know, it's like, wow, this cake's amazing that we are together. And now let's ice it. That'll be super cool. Mm -hmm. You know, the potential is just the sprinkles or whatever. Yeah. But you're, you're not... Um, Forcing it to be the kind of, yeah, that me. I want it to, I see a potential for this to be totally different than what it is. Yeah. And let me drive in and do that because that gives me a sense of control. It gives me a sense of purpose. It gives me, it fills my needs to do what I need to do, which is not really in consideration of um, mm. what the other person's experience is. Well, here's a really radical concept. I don't even know if it's a concept, but here's a really radical thing to say what if um what if what's best for us is always what's happening yes what if what's best for us is always what's happening 
there's this, when you have very little filters on your perception, that is the only perception you're ever seeing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's radical because uh, the mind has been trained in, we could say, sur- survivalistic, uh, egoic, dualistic yeah. um, you know, activity. That's how it operates. And that's fine. That's had some very useful, that got us to where we are today. It's a very useful perception, but it's certainly not the only perception. And there's a perception that brings us into thriving, as it's called, you know, really divine perception um, that embraces the, the, the trinity of perception, as I call it, at least, at the very least, it has these three ways of perceiving kind of all put together in a triadox, you know, kind of a multiple paradox of experience. It's all just okay being one. And what all that fancy talk leads to is exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, just what is happening is exactly the best for everyone involved. And, and it's radical because people don't like to hear this because it means, it means so many things. They really don't. But the, yeah, but the good news is it means you have the birthright to see it and to change it. Mm. Not, not from a... You know, this is bad and I'm going to turn you into the kind of thing that you need to be so that we could be like you were talking about. But yeah. from a very open space that says, wow, look at what is. What do we want to do about it? Do we want to do anything about it? Is that exciting for us or not? Let's yeah. do that. And if not, what is exciting for you? Bless mm-hmm. you on that. Let's, I'll find someone else who is excited. And this resonance will start to happen in a really beautiful way. Then we get into the mastery of humanity, you know, really creating a win, 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 win everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. And this is our evolutionary mastery. The win lose is so been done, you know, it's been, <laughs> it's like, oh, great, I win, you lose. Like, so what? I really don't think that's interesting for humanity anymore. Like, new, craftier ways to win and lose. Yep. Um, and kind of, I think also kind of reconstructing reconstructing the belief of the story around the loss, right? So this is something that I think like I've looked at a lot of my life is like things that seem like they're a loss. You look back later, you can say, Oh, well, that was actually, that was a gain. That was amazing. That was, that was a turning point in my life. That was an opportunity to go this way, you know? Um, so I think what we call loss, I'm a loser. I lost. First of all, it's always an opportunity to grow. And that's what we're here yeah. for. We're here to grow. We're here to learn. We're here to evolve. We're here to learn how to love. We're here to learn how to express ourselves more fully and deeply. And so anything that's considered a loss or a, a failure, that opportunity is always there. In fact, it's more there than, than the wins, right? So which is better, the winning or the losing, right? It's all relative in how you look at things. Totally. This is what I call the trapportunity of life. Yes. So it's always both, you know, it's t- mm-hmm. depending on your perspective, you know, is it a trap or is it an opportunity? It's always mm-hmm. going to have some of both from a relative perspective. Mm-hmm. When you're beyond the relative or within a more expanded view that encompasses, you know, the everything and the nothing mm-hmm. it, inherent within the something, not separated out, um, you cannot, you, you can't fail. It's a joke. Like... <laughs> 
you can't there's no you that can lose there's also no you that can gain and yes. so this is this is the part where you know when i take people to the edge of that perception they all have this like Ugh. i'm going to lose everything you know and uh, in a sense it's it's true that that yeah. you that perception does sort of seem to imagine that it's going to lose everything but the big mm-hmm. joke is you know on the other side nothing's lost nothing's gained and you're free you can't be bought and sold you're you're literally a free thinking free acting free responding being and that's a powerful human right there it feels like what you're pointing at yeah i would say if i had to put it into a word it's really about freedom it's really about freedom you could also say it's about love and i think if you go but i find if you go deep enough those two things are actually the same exact thing yeah, yeah. Right. So I think it's really about freedom, but it's a different kind of freedom than people normally talk about freedom. That's right. right? It's not it's not the concept of freedom because mm-hmm. people have co- concepts of love. Right. They have concepts of freedom that usually involves really like an idea that you're projecting out into the way something should be. Um, you know, that's a packaged up kind of conceptualized freedom or love. And th- those are OK to have as you know, authentic, unique preferences, as long as they're not getting in the way of the deeper experience of freedom, which is, uh, yeah, people say, you know, I get this all the time, people asking, you know, what do you, I put people down in a certain experience where they're able to access the depth of who they are, and you ask them what they want, 90% of the people will say, I want to be free. It's it's our it's our birthright. It's what we're meant to be. It's actually what we already are. But we've mm-hmm. uh, that's the craziest thing. That. That's the that's the most amazing thing. Is like, what do people want to us? They want to be free. Well, you are free. So it's like, <laughs> what is this thing of like, we, you know, we 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 are free, but we we want it, but we don't want it. We're like somehow conflicted, right? Yeah, I, you know, look at a human species that uh, any species that that asks itself regularly, who am I? You know, what am I? Like, who does that? You know, what in nature does that? That's, that's a conflicted species, you know. Yeah. And by default or by design or, uh, you know, a little bit of both, how that has evolved, we, we really have to just work with what we are, which is a conflicted, uh, you know, we're, have, we're like an existential crisis species. And um, it's a lot simpler than we imagine. But it will take some looking at some things that haven't been looked at yet uh, mm-hmm. within ourselves and within our collective experience that, that is going to make a lot of people go, you know, whoa, wow. Uh-huh. Okay, that, yeah, that sort of explains a lot. Uh, but you can do it all just within your own inquiry uh, mm. and find that within that, those, those big, you know, cosmic quantum truths, you, you find them within you, you're a, you're a piece of that, you know that, you're a fractal of that, and that has all the wisdom in it. So then when you open up, you're living in presence, you know, you're living in what is, and from a very non-colored glasses, you know, it's, and, and meaning when you see something, you're able to hear it and see it and not overlay, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? You know? What am I going to get out of this? What am I not going to get out of this? You know, and constantly be referring to the me. And then people wonder how, well, well what's going to happen to me if I live like that? Um, 
you know, it's sort of like asking, how do you live without an ego, right? Yeah. And I loved my Lama's answer. People would ask her, how do you live without an ego? And she would say, oh, much better. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Uh -huh. yeah. So you grew up in Arkansas in America, right? <laughs> I did. I did. A long, long, long time long, ago. A long, long time ago. So how did you become Amara Samata? Growing up from wow. Arkansas, like how did you get from Arkansas to Amara Samata? In Bali, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, of course, um, I don't like geographically what, what plane did you take, <laughs> but like mostly on the, on the consciousness level, like how, how did this awakening yes. to a deeper truth come into being for you? Okay. Mm. Yeah, I was a very inquisitive child, as all children are. I was the why, why, why child you know but why but why but why and always questioning reality and uh, had an innate sense of wanting to know what's actually going on here I had a way of looking at the world that I sort of came in with this outsider perspective um, which you know was a blessing and a curse because it helped me see things others were not seeing um, and, and I did have a knack for fitting in and not fitting in at the same time I've always been that way uh, when I was very young, I had one of those epiphanies in my, li in my life where, um, describe it, like my um, parents wanted me to go to Sunday school on a Sunday, and I wanted to ride my bike. And they were like, no, you have to go to Sunday school. And um, for me, Sunday, I actually liked some of Sunday school, but it meant putting on these tight black patent leather shoes that were really tight, and they hurt my feet and this little dress, and sitting on this hard wooden bench for hours and listening to stuff that didn't resonate with me and so I didn't you know I didn't want that experience and I said why do I have to go to, to, to church and my dad said um, because if you don't you'll go to hell and in that moment I this just this illumination just came forward I remember exactly where I was standing and what I was feeling and it said you know my own inner wisdom my own inner guidance rose up and said, if I don't believe what he's saying, I'm free. And it broke my relationship to beliefs as a real thing. We think our beliefs are real. You know, like they're, we actually think they're real. We believe they're real, you know, so there you go right there, you know, and you're yep. locked in. And our beliefs come from all kinds of places. Well, you know, you know, oh, I might go to hell. Okay, well, I don't want that kind of thing. So, you know, there's a belief right there. I could have taken that in and started living my life according to, you know, just this concept of something that may or may not be true in some relative or unrelative, who knows, some reality somewhere. Who knows? Where's the proof of that? Whatever. We could get into a whole thing about, you could write volumes about that, whether or not that's true or not but what I realized arguing whether something is right or true is not actually the more it's not the interesting question um, there's much more interesting things that take you beyond right and wrong true or untrue so I broke my experience with belief and then I got very fascinated by truth what is actually true I won that day I went out and rode my bicycle all over town <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, so this kind of put me on this quest of a lot of, um, 
throughout my life, religious studies, spiritual studies, um, self-help, love, relationship, anything I could get my hands on that was talking about what is life, what is God, what is truth, what is freedom, you know. Um, from Arkansas, yeah, I, I, I moved on. I moved to, um, spent some time in Oregon. I spent time in California. Uh, I lived in Los Angeles. I was an, uh, an actress in Los Angeles. It came from when I was very young, I was shy and I wanted to get over my shyness. So I enrolled in some acting classes and then I was turned out to be what they said was good. And that just continued um, in, into this track. I went to NYU for theater arts and uh, it, it got me out into the public and speaking. And then one day I said, I said, if I'm 10 years into my career, if I'm not ecstatically happy with my life, I'm going to quit and do something else. Because I have this thing where a decade is enough. Like if the decade isn't paying off and you don't want to sign up for another decade, like get out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So I, I did the acting thing. I was making a movie and in my movie trailer, just you know, silly, stupid movies that I made that paid the bills that were fun and um, or not. <laughs> and I said, wow, I'm not really happy. I don't really like acting. I certainly don't like the product I'm made, making. I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> what am I actually doing? What am I doing? So I stopped and I said, what's the one thing I love? And this is really important message for people is when you're in a shift and you're changing is look at what do I love or what could I love or what did I love? And really get a hold of what you love. This is a great way to propel yourself into the authentic, you know, just empowered living of what you are. All that beautiful stuff that we all want. It's, you know, really follow what you love, why you love it. And, um, and really pay attention to that. So I loved yoga. So I came back, I did, uh, and I enrolled in yoga trainings. And for the next decade, I taught yoga and uh, studied and became a mother, raised my son. I thought I was going to live in Hawaii and be like a yoga teacher and a pottery teacher and garden. That was uh -huh. what I thought was going to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what, when did your name change? What, first question. The second question, was there a moment of um, awakening into the true self that happened for you that, that, that stands out to you? Yeah, okay, so my name, Amara, came from Yogi Bhajan, the founder of the Kundalini, modern Kundalini yoga movement. Uh, he gave me that in a personal, a private session with him, uh, meaning pay attention to your infinite nature. Uh, my name, Samata, came from Amachi, the hugging saint, uh, who I've had a close relationship with over the years, and I asked her in my mind for a last name so that I could just take on um, yeah, I think I kind of wanted to just, I just knew inside I wanted to leave behind the kind of all the thing that my name just meant before. And I wanted to kind of give myself a chance to create a, a new, more free, open identity. So that's what spiritual names are kind of all about is two, yep. two things. One, they give you a chance to disconnect from certain energies and take on something else, you know, be careful of that. And then, um, they also point to your potential. So every time you say your name, you're, you're thinking of your potential. So it's more of a conscious naming. And she gave me the name Samata as my um, last name. Oneness or that kind of 
mm-hmm. equilibrium throughout all space and time. So infinite oneness became what my potential apparently uh-huh. was. Okay, so cut to um, uh, we moved to Singapore. Uh-huh. And I got introduced to, in my, you know, sp- kind of spiritual pr- pursuits, I was introduced to a Filipino mystic and healer. He's more of a demystic. He kind of likes to demystify things. And I had a very profound experience with him. I'd had many little ones that had led me up. I thought they were huge at the time in yoga and different meditations. But they were leading me up to this kind of bigger experience falling away of the ego. So the egoic construct um, disassembled, was really disassembled in my mind, and I lived for seven days without uh, a primary sense of identity. And what I discovered was this intense flow of ease that happened everywhere all the time. And And we kind of that thing of when I just get out of my own way, you know, great things start to happen. It was, it was like that, only instead of me trying to get out of my own way, I just wasn't there anymore in that way. And so it was, like, really easy. One thing, that I've, one thing I've learned from talking to people in these episodes, if you're trying to get out of your own way, you're still in your own way. Mm-hmm. That I can verify. Okay, good. So, yeah, that didn't work. But actually dis- dissolving that perception, yeah, that was pretty awesome. So I said, wow. What's this? Because that's way better than how I've been living life. You know, what is that thing? Yeah. Um, I started asking all these questions and a friend of mine said, oh, wow, you're, you're speaking what she called Tibetan Tantra. I said, great, where's this Tibetan Tantra stuff? Like, give it to me. They were like, oh, no, 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 it's secret. You'll never learn it. Like it's... So it turned out there's one lineage that will accept you as a student according to your experience, not according to how many years you've studied. And that's the Dzogchen tradition. So I said, okay, universe, I was very good at manifesting. I'd manifested my, my whole life in many ways that I came to learn that I don't really know what I want. I get what I want and I don't want it. So this I that's driving my desires is pretty useless. Let's get on to bigger and better things. So I manifested a, um, I said, universe, I want a Tibetan Tantra Dzogchen teacher. I want them living in my house, teaching me every day. And the only requirement is they speak good English, you know, go. And um, a month and a half later, I had a female, uh, she was a German woman who was trained in Mahayana, Galupa, and Dzogchen um, teacher. And she, she was teaching in Singapore. She had just become a Lama a year before. She only had, I think she had like one student. She just started. I sat in front of her and had a huge experience and she's I told her what happened and she said yeah you need to study with me so I hosted her and I um, because that's also what they do is kind of go around and so I brought her in and she was living in my house and I hosted her for nine months and she taught me every day for two years um, about a year with me and then I we got her set up in Bali as well and uh, she still lives here she takes very very few students uh, she's a mother and she's focusing on raising a child and other things right now. But, you know, she's very good at the theory and of what was happening to me mm-hmm. and the kind of booked, learned, you know, that kind of understanding. And then the work I was doing with the mystic, which was the founder of the inner dance movement, um, that was like real kinesthetic experience of the theory. Mm-hmm. 
So a year later, I had what is called, um, for a long time, I called it the tipping point, not just to not freak people out, but we call it a spiritual awakening. <laughs> uh-huh. Tipping point, I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a point where if we described it like, tipping water out of the glass and there comes a point where if you just keep going like you can't get that water back in the glass Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen right so like that happened Mm -hmm. um seemingly depending on what level you're talking about but i didn't wake up because eyes don't wake up you know there's no me that's going to wake up what happens is the illusion of of you know of who you are falls away and then awakeness is just what is and then that's just the beginning that has a whole maturity onto itself. Um, so that's, you're really kind of like a baby, but in a, in a different spectrum, you know, it's sort yeah. of like, yeah. I, I reckon, I, re- I really, um, thanks for sharing that. That was a beautiful recollection of your, your journey. And I, I, I resonate with actually, you brought up the church and Christianity. There's a term in Christianity that I think is actually really apt what you're talking about. And the term that they use is born again. Right. So it literally is like, you're, you're like a baby. It's like, it's like a new life. You have to learn how to walk, how to talk, how to think, how to feel, how to, how to perceive with your senses. You know, it really is a good, a good word for what you're talking about. You know, it's like having a second life in this same body. And they were totally keyed into exactly the truth of that. Absolutely. I mean, my father a, was a Southern Baptist preacher, and I grew up around the religious field. And there's, um, I have great peace with that. And, and we talk all the time about our similar different views, you know. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Different yeah. languaging. Different. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. If, but if it, anyone has yeah, any comments or questions, I just want to jump in. I just want to let people know if they have any comments or questions. Um, go ahead and ask. You can type in and, and, and share. And again, you can share where you're from and how you're doing. And you can hit the heart button. People are hitting the, how, the heart button, the wow button. There's all kinds of crazy buttons down there. Fun ways to engage. So feel free to join the conversation. You were saying, Amara? Uh, just that it's it's fun. People like to hear it, I suppose. Uh, just two things to it. In that awakened ex- experience and like I say, many things lead up to that, and there's different ways that happens for people. But I went into a process of um, seven, primarily seven months of nearly unbearable bliss to my system, 24 hours a day. It resets everything. Um, it resets your relationship to sleep, to food, to clothes, to sex, to, re- to relating, to the world you live in. I mean, everything just gets... Um, yeah, shaken up and how did these things out. change? We want to know how all these things change. <laughs> well, first of all, I'll say my teacher since my awakening was so like boom and explosive and huge, she would say, "Oh, you must have been very dense before." So the bigger awakening means the bigger the contrast, which means the more asleep you were. So yeah. if those who are kind of chipping away at the asleepness, you know, or the illusion, sometimes you can wake up and it's in a way that just kind of gracefully slides into it. So I I don't want people to get the idea that like a huge awakening is like the goal or whatever. It just means that I was a little bit of an idiot. So mine was really big, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I I don't think I've ever heard it stated quite like that before, but that makes perfect sense. Like someone like Eckhart Tolle, who was like completely asleep 
he has this huge awakening because he was completely asleep, where if he was like somewhat awake, he wouldn't have been this huge thing to write about. It would have been pretty insignificant. So that makes <laughs> yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, so I, yeah, so it's, it's true. Um, it, it is a big day, though. I won't lie to you. You know, it's a big day when that happens. Um, I made a deal because I had been trained to meet that day. I had been trained that that moment was coming, and I had been trained for it for a year. Um, and you don't have to train for it all. I mean, you can just, it, it is possible to self-illuminate. And that's, that's a, what I teach people to do. And, and, and I have a right. lot of tools for that, you know. But it is your nature, you know, to try and wake yourself up is, in some specific way is like oh, silly. But anyway, um, we, we, we think that way and we work that way. So wait, what was your question? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm interested in that, actually. The, the paradox of that is really deep and kind of important and kind of because, like, let's, let's go into that. So it's like to try to, to try to wake you up, to try to wake yourself up is silly because you're already awake and you've always been awake and you always will be awake. But yet you feel like you're not awake or you think you're not mm -hmm. awake. So you have to try to wake yourself up, but you're already awake. So there's like this, yes. it's like this fascinating paradox, right? And depending on where people are at, I imagine when they're meeting you, is you you reflect them back to themselves in different ways on that journey. Yes. Yeah. Well, when you are hitting up against a paradox, uh, this is a very good sign because everything becomes a paradox to the relative mind as you're hitting that threshold um, that of unity, if we'll just call it that right now, mm -hmm. or oneness. Mm -hmm. where all paradoxes disappear. And then you'll hit a double paradox where you really, I call it the checkmate. Like you really can't, you, in any direction you go, there's no escaping the paradox to that kind of mind. Yeah. It's, um, so w when, people, when people come in contact with you and they come to your retreats or your classes, you said you have some tools. So what kind of tools are you, are you working with with people? So because we have the perceptions that we do that are creating an experience of reality that seems to be very real, yeah, yeah. Uh, we really need to work with that and honor that. That is what's happening. Yep. And, and having some lofty idea that it's not happening is just going to kind of turn you into some kind of you know, spiritual narcissist or something. So, um, so inquiry. I've never seen anyone wake up without a question. Um, Buddha apparently Buddha said or a tree you know you need you need an inquiry <laughs> and a tree but um, I, I did wake up in nature it's true but somebody here had an awakening in my house uh, last year yeah they woke up in the garden so get yourself some nature and a good question um, we uh, work a lot with with self-inquiry so it's learning how to ask the deeper and deeper question and then how to not so much answer it from the mind. There are some answers that the mind will give you that are important. Um, but it's more about, when, you know, kind of living that answer. First answering that and then letting those things go and realizing they're not as true as you imagined. And then really living what's uncovered from that inquiry. So I do, um, what I do is a, a full being examination of who you are physically, emotionally, mentally, and energetically. 
some people might call spiritually. Uh, I call it TSI. It's like your total self-intelligence is what we're activating. So this is your TSI inquiry where you get on a mat and you ask yourself, I take people into um, a very accelerated process in which your body begins to remember who it is. A lot of what it goes through is, is releasing all the things within it that are in alignment with what you're not. So people will begin to shake or they'll move in waves or they'll, they'll start to tell a story of what's no longer true kinesthetically. Mm. You know, it looks, it looks wild and um, people freak out and have all kinds of ideas of what they think it is. So that's why I keep it in a real, you know, in a context of let's look at what actually is happening here. And the testimony again and again and again afterwards is I feel free. Yeah. And I feel light. I feel free. I've never felt like this. It's amazing. Yeah. So that, that's the kinesthetic answer to the question that's being asked. Then there's an emotional answer to the question. Simple questions like, what do you want? What do you need to remember? What's, you know, what's been the hardest thing for you? What are you committed to now? Knowing all of this truth, what do you choose? I mean, this gets answered with your emotional intelligence, your physical intelligence. People will immediately begin to cry when we ask questions in a, in a total self-inquiry allowed space. Then, of course, your mind has memories. It has ideas. It will say stuff. That's fine. That's great. And then the energetic field will start to also click in. And things you can't really explain will begin to become understood. That's how I do it. Beautiful. Love it. I love what you're saying about the, the shaking. Like I also know people will have, they'll have twitching or ticks or these yep. different things that, that manifest. And I love that you kind of like embrace that or you, you see that as part of the, part of the movement, part of the journey. I think mm -hmm. physical, like, cause I, I feel like a lot of the traditional religious teachings are like, be still, don't move. If, if you shake, you're doing it wrong. Right. And my feeling is like, in fact, there's even, you know, the state that I'm in, there's, there's a tradition of people called the Quakers, right? Where they would okay. come in and meeting calls and, and they would shake together. That was their Beautiful. form of prayer where they would, they would, they would quake or shake together. So I think that there's something really valuable in this process about, and also like things like um, um, authentic, authentic movement or authentic um, ecstatic dance. Yep. These kind of practices where you can just kind of, you know, shake it out whatever way that things are coming through. It seems like it's really valuable. It's a really valuable part of this, this process. Yeah, so what I discovered, exactly what your point is, Brian, what you're talking about, um, is that the masculine, what I call the masculine systems for awakening, like the, the ultimate we'll call Vipassana, you know, that's it, it, that sit down. I, well, you know, we were raised in a sit down, shut up, be quiet, behave yourself society. You know, and then it, you take it into the spiritual field, and it's, of course it has a, a beneficial side to that. You know, no, really stop, sit down, really stop, be quiet, right? And then there's this other side that's like, you know, sh shut up, um, that's very damaging. Mm -hmm. So there's always, you know, two sides to every story. But what I found was that the masculine systems did not work for me. They just didn't work. There was, it was not my natural way of self-realization it wasn't i you know it wasn't going to happen through the sit down shut up be quiet and awaken yourself and i know for you know for some it does there is this um 
the, the way that that stillness creates, you know, the, the Kundalini energy and, and all of that, which I can talk about later, but you know how that all rises up. It does for some people. I would have to say that if we looked at like, like just result oriented, you know, if we would said, okay, you know, what is the point of all these masculine be still Zenified experiences, you know, are they waking people up? And if we looked at it like a business, like, all right, let's, let's see the results. What do we got? I don't think I, I'm not seeing the results. Like where, mm-hmm. where are all the awakened people? Who's like, mm-hmm. where are the, we should have hundreds of thousands of people on the planet, like, like really fully awake from that. So I said, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Like, okay, there's benefit, but I'm talking like, what's this beyond thing that I don't, you know, what is that? So I did the opposite and I went into a space where what is was embraced. And when I laid down, I mean, I was like a tornado, you know, like (laughs) everything that was not in alignment with my truth just started literally coming out of me in this like wild expression. It's very feminine. So it's a feminine style of awakening. And then what happens is it does come into its stillness. That's how it does it. Um, and, I, and it worked like, I mean, one, um, one year of intermittent practice um, brought me to what I was searching for for about 12, 15 years before. So I found what I was seeking, which I realized I was not trained to find. They don't train you to find. They train you to seek. <laughs> You're like, whoa, finding. Wait, I was not expecting that. Wait a minute. Oh, that changes everything. Yeah, so we need these. Um, so, so one of my missions is to bring out into the world the acceptance of and the access to feminine styles of awakening for men and for women. We could call it, you know, the creative, you know, the, the yin or the creative expressive side of awakening that gets often demonized in the past. Um, beautiful experience. I had, uh, I had a lovely teacher who taught Vipassana and he, I met him after, uh, after the tipping point and he looked at me and he said, yeah, okay. He saw it and he knew what had happened and he invited me to, I had signed up for his workshop and I said, well, what do I do now? I'm, it, it's like kind of trying to meditate and do yoga and all that stuff fell away after my awakening because you know what, why, why do you do what you are? I mean, that's just like, like that would make me laugh. I don't understand. Yep. So he said, come, it'll be good for the others, you know, just come and just mm-hmm. be yourself. And so I was in the Vipassana at the end, we were doing this Vipassana thing. And I just got filled with this immense amount of joy. And I stood up in the class and I started dancing and I just danced myself out of the room. So that is the, that's what Vipassana you know, is leading to, like you say, it's like, yeah, we, we sit down and then we go into the wild dance and the wild dance comes back and we sit down and we need both of these. Um, it's not a, this is the way, that's the way, you know, it's, it's really both. It's always both. Beautiful. You, you, you said something to me once that there's a phrase you said, you you have a lot of phrases I really appreciate. Um, (laughs) one you said that I really liked is the beautiful lie. The beautiful lie. Mm. Talk about that. The beautiful lie? Yeah. Beautiful lie. Like you're talking about how like thought, belief, story 
you know, it's not bad. Well, I guess now I'm, I'm speaking what you remember you saying, but you're saying like, it's not, it's not bad. It doesn't need to be gotten rid of, but it's also not true. Yeah. Right. It's like a beautiful lie. Yeah. And well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful because when you wake up to, I don't know, the, the, the deeper perspe- perspective, you know, it's, it's so exquisitely, amazingly beautiful from what we would tend to call something that's beautiful and amazing all the way down the spectrum to what we would call mm-hmm. absolute horrific experience Mm -hmm. and you know this is what we because of our fears of perpetuated horrific experiences we tend to think that if i don't view that as horrible and awful it's gonna it's gonna continue and i must make a stand against it and make it stop and although there are ways to make a stand against thing and make them stop and i'm all for that the view behind that is not that um you know there's a deeper understanding that that too is also grace and it's a very tricky thing for the mind, but when you hit that, the, then the perpetuating of these horrible things literally begins to fall away. It just falls away. It's exact opposite of what we imagine. So it's kind of embracing the all. You know, we, we embrace many things except that, right, in life. Mm-hmm. Like everything but that or everything in another person except that. And again, we're back to the rejection of yep. what's okay and what's not okay. You can have a, a relative, okay, not okay experience. That's fine. But when that's the only thing you're having, um, you're living at best uh, a beautiful lie. <laughs> hmm. Jackie says, once you realize the story is just a construct, you don't need it anymore and it loses its power. So what I was, what I was going to say and add on to that is the sense of the ego, right? So for me, I can have a sense of, okay, I'm Brian, you're Mara, I'm here, you're there, I'm in Pennsylvania. You're, I, I can be familiar with that whole story. Like, I don't have to get rid of it or squash it. It's a beautiful lie. Like, it's actually yeah. really beautiful. It's so sweet, you know? But when you take it as real, and that's the only reality there is, that's when the suffering comes into being. Yeah, we have our... Um... Yeah, I do this whole process around story. So when I work in my um, deep retreats uh, or individuals or, you know, however I'm working, we do this whole thing where we bring out um, the old story of your life. You bring out the full-fledged everything that you've been believing. It's called your limited story, your story of limitation. And you just bring it fully out. Uh, we, We really need to call out what, you know, kind of, the pink elephant in the back of our minds, you know, let's just bring it out onto the table. Um, So we bring out the story and we just call out every person, everything we ever did, everything they ever did that contributed to the story. And then when you get it out, then we deeply honor it. We thank it for having been so. Mm. And then we, then we burn it. We have a big fire burning ceremony and um, to be kind of slaying, we let that shit go, you know, (laughs) that's like, and it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, and we anchor it with the smoke and the fire and we really get that, you know, into your system. And then from that day forward, you can't tell that story anymore without knowing you're telling a lie. Hmm. And then we create the new story. So this is a conscious story. Great. Um, Love it. And yeah, and then, and there's nothing, 
wrong with living a, a conscious story. You're, the last story you're going to have, if, if you're going to wake up out of story, which will then ironically bring you back into any story you want and all kinds of stories, they'll still relate back to story, but totally different. The last story you tell yourself is, I have no story. It's still a story. Still a story. Yes. Yeah, so and you can't really... Kind of a boring story. one, to be honest with you. In my, in my personal perspective, it's sort of a boring, I have no story. Well, that's, I mean, have something that's interesting. Have something that's exciting. <laughs> have something that's adventurous. Have something that's alive, that's passionate, that's inspiring. You know, tell me a story like that. The people that I know, yes. honestly, the people that I know, for everyone listening, that are the most awakened beings, they're also the best storytellers. They're yes. tremendous storytellers because yes. they know it's all yes. just story. Yeah, and then it's it's like they you say, you know, every moment the story is unfolding, and you embrace that story. Every moment you're born again, and you embrace that birth. Every moment you're dying, you know, you're dying into that, and you embrace that. That I mean, you're not doing it, but that's, you know, it's like the universe, like nature. You know, yes, it's happening, and if you. There is the story that's happening. That's it's from the perceptions that are coming from all around. At the core, yeah, there's no story. I mean, and that means, like Buddha said, there's nothing, and that's why everything is possible. Love that. There is nothing, and that's why everything is possible. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And has then we get into our our freedom. Go ahead. The process unfolding you are talking about, Amara, reminds me so much of what unfolds during breath work, circular breath rebirthing are you also teaching breath work as a way to access the deeper subconscious beliefs that are limiting okay yeah so i typically in, in private groups or sorry in public groups i start with about five minutes of breath work um people who have worked with me and many people who come into the field it happens immediately they don't need to go into the breath work but a lot of people who don't know how to self process or drop into the truth as you know a way of accessing the truth of who you are instantly they need that breath work to kind of get them in the game so to speak so what i say about breath work is it's a great tool once it brings you into that kind of aha moment or something you can get a hold of that's kind of takes you over you run then like run with it leave the breath behind if you're still trying to hang on to your breath while you're having an awakening that's not gonna go well you're like oh wait a minute my breath you know like that you that's doing breath work dissolves yeah yeah so so that's the thing that I have so many breathwork friends that I love, love, love them, and I love the work they do, and it's super powerful and amazing. But, you know, when I do breathwork, it's like, like, let, let me off the string. Let me go. Like, I'm ready to fly now, you know. And so I'd like to see breathwork offer more of that letting it go. People come over, and they're like, breathe. And you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm in another dimension. Like, there's like, what are you talking about, a breath? Like, what? You know? <laughs> so... And it's very funny because there's an agenda. So I work with no agenda. The only agenda yeah. is to have no, no agenda other than to be um, supportive for that which is. But breathwork is a great way to get into it, and I recommend it. And sometimes people will do breathwork through my processes because they need to, to have that little thing to hang on to to get them into a certain mm -hmm. space, and I totally allow them to do that. Cool. Yeah. Avni has a question. It's a very long question, but I'm going to try to oh. – get into it here after okay. vipassana i had a huge awakening experience it was around the role and silent impact of my ego in who i was being and really getting to know myself at the soul level mm 
in quotes. The ego made me seek attention, talk more, seek for approval, and get that validation. Everything I did was motivated through the ego. After this realization, suddenly I felt that this kind of ego-driven life had no space in my life. I went in a cocoon for a while, and then when I came out, I had to find new ways to relate to people and life without it being motivated by my ego. This really changed a lot for me in terms of who I am and how I relate to others. I have a question on this for Brian, but I'm going to ask you. As I've noticed, he <laughs> shared relatively little. Okay, we'll both share. Yeah, that. let's hear. Like, yeah, Brian, share. Since having this awakening, it's kind of lost its essence somewhat. After coming to Singapore, I feel more and more that the letting go of the ego came back on scene as a result of various reasons. How do you organically keep this going and get back to where I was at the Vipassana? This is a really great question, right? And it's something that like a lot of people are are um, grappling with, shall we say. So yes, I'll just ma'am. add a few reflections and I, I would like to Please. hear from you, you as well. Um, I think the key is kind of what I was saying before is to integrate the ego. To me, it's about not trying to like squelch the ego or crush it or hope it never comes back or let me get back to the bliss state that I was in whatever particular time because that all is ego the ego who's who's going to do all those things it's the ego right so the ego is not a problem the ego is not bad the ego is not the ego is not um something you need to get rid of it's just is what it is right so it kind of relates to what I hear you saying and what you're what you're offering people is just to really deeply embrace what is, to be with what is, to love what is, to love what's arising, and also recognize and realize who you really are beyond whatever is arising, beyond whatever comes and goes, beyond whatever appears or disappears. So I think that what I find is people will have an awakening, so an experience that, that kind of blasts them open to their true self that's beyond ego, and then the ego returns and it doesn't mean you have to, you have to get back to anything or go forward to anything, just be with what is and allow whatever's there to kind of flow and unfold while, but now you realize the truth of who you are, right? You realize the truth of who you are beyond that, beyond that story. Yes. Yeah. This is a very tricky point for many people um, who have had an experience of Satori or a taste of awakening, a taste, a taste of emptiness, as it's called, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, or I also see people having a taste of divinity. And, um, and that will change your life, you know, for sure, that moment. I mean, it's definitely worth all that happens. But there are a lot of things that can happen out of that. I call it the rally of the ego. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it goes away, and sometimes it will surge back in. Yeah. Uh, even, even stronger, because, like, hey, <laughs> you, almost, you almost, like... What, what, what did you do to me, you know, and it will, it will mm. come back. Mm. So, all right. So what, what she was saying is that she had an experience that, that helped her see beyond herself, you know, beyond her current, her old way of operating. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, had a very significant impact upon her perception. Um, as long as there's a you that's still question, questioning you and wanting to know how can I and yeah how can I anything, um, you're still always going to be left with a part of you that's feeling like a you and having to work with that. And that's where we get into how do I meet surrender again and again? How do I create the conditions for surrender? What is surrender? And how do mm-hmm. I live 
sort of continuously in a surrendered state, um, if you're going to call it that. And, well, a lot of it is what not to do. You know, what not to do, as you said, I learned early on, every time I would have a transcendent experience, you know, just a little peek at it when I was younger, I would say, oh, I got it, I did it. And my eye would come in and just, like, claim itself yeah. right in that experience yeah. and it would fall away, right? The other, the other really big thing that happens is I want to get back to that. That's the thing people hear yes. all the time. I want to get back to that experience. Okay, right. so right there, what you're taught in, in Buddhism that I learned is you get very, you wait for those moments, you know, when those moments come, and, and they will, that mind that loves to say, how do I, mm -hmm. you just don't engage that. There's, you learn, they, they call it, you don't feed it. So it will rush in and will say, how do I, because it wants to keep, it wants to have, it wants to utilize everything for itself, 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 you know, mm. um, maintaining separation. And it will find any way it can do that. You know, it's just the slipperiest little thing. Um, and that's okay until it's not. And then you start to see, oh man, I'm going through this loops again and again, you know, what's really going on here. And then you, it, it's really beneficial to, yeah, make peace with the egoic perspective that's now not going to play a big role in your life. And again, we're back to it takes a lot of courage because there's there's nothing in it for you. I love what Adi Ashanti says, you know, in awakening, it, it, there's nothing in it for you. There's no you that's going to go, oh, I'm back in this amazing state. I'm back in this flow. I am awake. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah, I've got it going on in that way. Like, that's not how it works. Um, so there is this kind of grieving that's really important that I find for people to realize I'm not going to get what I want out of awakening. And, you know, the ego's view of awakening is, or enlightenment, is I get everything I want and none of what I don't. That's really its imagination of what it is. And we can't imagine anything beyond that. And we can't imagine why would we want anything that's not that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's a, it's a it's an illusion that creates ultimately can perpetuates pleasure and pain and you know suffering and and so we have to go what's beyond. So there are ways to um, for her. Let's see. Um, yeah, it does have this quality of like, well, what's the point? Whenever I meet clients that are in the what's the point phase. They sell something really big, and they're like, oh, what's the part, point of doing or being or trying? Um, yes. Yeah. I always, you know, don't stop there. Like, that, that's yeah. great. You made, it, you made it to the what's the point experience. Great. Don't stop there. Um, there's, there's an awakening of mind, awakening of heart, and awakening of body. You need two of them to have a significant awakening, at least having two legs, as they say, to walk on. So the, the mind really taps into the emptiness aspect and it brings a great sense of peace. The heart breaks into the fullness, the unity aspect, and it brings great joy. That's its byproduct. And the body um, seems to tap in uh, to the, the something, you know, not negating the self, as you're saying, mm -hmm. embracing the self, not from that limited perception, but a, a self that's a part of the all, you know, mm. um, and, and the embodiment of self. And that realization brings about bliss. So peace, bliss, and joy are the three main byproducts of an awakened perspective.
And when you are that which you are, there's nothing to get back to. Those are just there. You can't really get away from them. They're, they're there. But yeah, if you try to grab them, it's over. And they're there underneath whatever's arising. I think of it like almost like the like an ocean, like there's surface waves. So there's kind of surface things happening. Like there can be different emotional things that you notice. But there's this this underlying essence that that's underneath whatever's rising on the surface and i think there's a there can be a confusion around that 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 people have about mm-hmm. um yeah this unchanging essence of who i am and recognizing that as opposed to what's happening on the on the surface so abney says i want to find a way for my life to be expressing through my soul and less through my ego brian amara what daily practices do you recommend that will help me be even more related related to and operating from my soul. So I just wanted to speak to something. I was going to bring it up anyway, but I think it relates to what, what Abney's bringing up is I actually talked to you a few months ago on the phone and, um, I was sharing that, um, I went into this space. I actually had the flu. I went into this like really, really, really intense flu. And through that had these really deep spiritual experiences and there was this real deep sense of like kind of what you were saying of like nothing needs to be done. I don't have any motivation to do anything. Everything is fine as it is. Everything is okay as it is. I don't need to have any kind of a future. And so it almost, it almost came across to people that, that I was like depressed, which I didn't feel depressed. I just felt like really I felt and I still feel to this point that I was actually seeing the truth, the, the, the absolute truth of what is. And kind of through time and kind of being with that there was sort of an integration that came back in of this kind of world of time and space and brian the person and brian the person now has a lot of motivation a lot of drive to create things and do things and but but what i find really fascinating i still find really fascinating is where does it come from it's almost sort of like a mystery you know where it comes from as opposed to before, you're like, okay, well, the ego, I want this, and it's going to make, like you were, everything you were saying, it's going to make me better, it's going to get me more, make me more of myself, I'm going to be bigger. But you don't feel that when you're kind of, you know, post-awakening. There's, it's more of like a mystery. It's more of just surrendering to the mystery, surrendering to the creative flow, and letting that move through you um, in each moment. Yeah, because you can't stop the, tree from fruiting you know what is <laughs> right. Right. what is out of the out of all the stages you know there mm-hmm. is this out of the nothing it's i mean the who is it this, i think that's not zen um but it's like a zen buddhist they, they really said it the best out of the <laughs> zero came the one out of the one came the two out of the two came the three the out of Dao. the three yeah the Tao. Mm-hmm. thank you and out of the three came the 10,000 things. Um, it's talking about uh, emptiness, um, unity, duality, trinity, and then infinite possibility. Mm. Which is all one thing. Yeah. <laughs> so what that means in relative language, what that means is um, you can't stop the arising, the birthing of a motivation. It's, right. it's not coming from the same place anymore. It's not coming from you. I mean, it, 
it is a bit of a mystery, we could say. Where is it coming from? I mean, I have my answer to that, but it's um, that rising and falling is going to happen. I mean, look at Ramana. You know, he sat in a cave and let bugs eat his legs, and he did not engage. He did not move. And he became one of the biggest teachers in the world. You know, they came to the cave, they drug him out, they wrote books, you know, and he just turned into a huge thing, right? Yeah. And he did nothing. He did nothing. And look mm. what happens. And I see this all the time, you know, when we're doing the nothing, when the nothing is what is doing. Get yeah. ready for the something. Here it comes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very effortless. What doing, get ready for the something. I love that. <laughs> And that is what also is, right? You know, so you're going to have suddenly something will arise like a preference, you know, but it's very funny. It's like, oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. What, so we have a saying. So the first in, in Buddhist, in, yeah, in Dzogchen, there's a path called the path of allowing. So I would say to somebody like her, really allowing what wants to be, you know, really tapping into yourself. Do you want to be still? Be still. Do you want to be, do you want to move, move, you know, do you want to sing, sing, do you want to write, write, do you want to contemplate something that brings you into an emptiness, do that and really start looking at what is deeply wanted, we have to come into relationship with our needs, wants and desires, I I haven't found a way to get out of this, we have to meet them to transcend them. Mm. Um, So what was, there was something I was going to say about that, but... um, Anyway, uh, yeah, connect to what you want and feel into it and give yourself a chance to try what serves your soul. Um, there's something I was going to say about, but I lost the, I lost the thread of it. I feel like it always comes back when it's, when it's important. It'll, it'll return. Okay. If it's important, it'll return. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, where, yeah, it comes, comes from presence and it, and it arises and, um, yeah, I mean, I saw this with my own teacher too. He... He tried to be, the moment he tried to stop being something, I mean, the whole world just crashed in on him and pulled mm. him out. And, like, literally, he would, he would, people would fall into these expanded states, and then they'd start screaming at him to speak. Like, his students would start screaming. That was their truth, and <laughs> he would have to, he would have to show up. You know, the world will, will call you out. Um, but getting in touch with your soul, uh, and what it wants, you know, what feeds it. Mm. And really yeah. not being apologetic. Oh, I know, it was the path. So the path is the path of allowing, right? This is, the, this is a path headed towards um, what we might call the awakening. Yep. So what do you allow and why? In that, you're going to start making choices about what not to allow. And you're going to start looking at, like, I, I allow this, but can I allow this? Mm. No, and, and why? And what if I do allow it? What happens? We start breaking down our resistance through this intention of allowing and following through, you know, and really getting discerning about the allowing at the very least. Once you've had an awakening beyond a self that is or is not doing something for a reason, then the path changes to the path of no accepting, no rejecting. And this is where you're really in that space that doesn't um, indulge and it doesn't deny, no grasping, no aversion. And you, and you learn how to live from this space. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's a very strange experience not having an egoic 
um, desire. It's kind of like being something and nothing at the same time. I mean, I, people ask me, like, what do you, what does it feel like? You know, it sort of feels like, I mean, it's just different things, like kind of like being a cloud, but a very, very effective one. <laughs> nice. An effective cloud. <laughs> she seems to be very effective at what she does. Once you've gone into no accepting, no ejecting, and then you go into the path of abiding where you're starting to head into full realization and really living that in, in all ways, in all times, then it's no accepting, no rejecting, no non-accepting, no non-rejecting. Yeah. So Beautiful. there's nowhere for you to move. There's nowhere for a me to move within that. And there's nothing mm-hmm. to deny within that. And then you're back at what's happening and you need deep awareness. So awareness practices anything that gets you aware of how you think, how you react, how you respond, and why is going to open the door for yes yes beautiful we need to we need to get out of here tell me um anything else you want to share anything you have happening your website is up amirasamata.com people can check in there to get to to see more what's happening for you but anything else you want to say before we before we go um let's see yeah, for those who are interested in um, connecting with me, working with me, this is a, um, I have, yeah, on the website by the by the mid to end of this year, I'm going to have online programs that help people with um, self-realizing tools. Um, those are all in production right now. If you want to work with me in, in person, um, I have workshops in, I'm going to, Lithuania, Finland, and Sweden. Uh, we have openings in, in Europe, in Finland, and Sweden that are happening August, September. You can find those on my calendar. I have uh, five-day intensives, very, very deep dive intensives, and I'm still doing um, open to the public this year. That's happening in, um, I think, end of September, and there's one also in November in Bali. So just look on the calendar. I also do a a level one training program for those who want to. I work with people who are healers, coaches, chiropractors, therapists, um, mentors of all kind, and they come and take my level one uh, training of inner guidance um, work, and that really takes their work to the next level. And then, of course, I, I do have a track for those who want to do this core work, and we have a certification program and a way that we work with those people. And help them with their outreach and their affiliates. And so there's, there's different ways to get involved with me. Um, just look at the calendar. You can reach out, write to us. Um, I'm going to the U.S. in October. I just found out two days ago I'm being what? sponsored in, in San Francisco. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, I have, I'm going to Vancouver, Canada in mm-hmm. October. And um, for my new affiliate center that's opening there, Inner Guidance Institute Canada is opening, Vancouver. We're kicking that one off with some programs. And then I'm going to come down at the end of, um, see, that's the end of October. And then around the end of November, I'm going to be in San Francisco. And I'm going to be meeting a lot of very interesting people there. I have some privates that are going to be open. And we're doing a weekend intensive and uh, that's also going to be magic. We're headed into Silicon Valley. I work a lot with uh, techies. Yeah. Um, 
conscious techies seem to find me very fascinating and, the, and a lot of quantum uh, conversations that come out of that experience. And uh, so, yeah, find me, connect with me. I do, um, I'd like, I might do one more trip to Singapore this year, if not for sure next year. I love working with Singapore, so hi to Singapore people. Um, stay connected and we'll show you what's going on there. Yeah, there's a lot unfolding. I have, I have centers, online programs, and workshops, and now moving into, yeah. And you have a great website, and all this information can be channeled through there, right, through your, through your main website. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And at the very least, just write us an email through the website and say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Hmm. How do I do, how, how can I do this, or what can I do? And I also like to answer questions, too. If you want to write a question or friend me on Facebook or something. I try to take the time if I can answer it in mm -hmm. short ways. Otherwise, I do Skype sessions as well. Thank yeah, you so, so much for being you. here. Yeah, it's so good. I so love good. our conversations, Brian. Yeah. You're, you're one of my deep thinkers. I love it. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. Anytime. Let's jump on. So many other things we could be talking about. So, so much more. Me. We'll do it again in another now. <laughs> the ever, <laughs> ever present now, as I call it. Yeah. The ever present now. Yeah. yeah, let's do that. Okay, thank you so much, Amara, right. for being here. Ciao. All right, that was so much fun. So much fun. Really appreciate space with y'all. Um, we'll keep we'll keep the conversation going in the thread. So if we didn't get to everybody's questions, we can we can keep it in the going in the thread and respond um, at a later now. Be back next week. I will be in Sweden next week. Uh, Julie Day will be my guest. We'll be back to the regular time. This was a fun. This was a fun, different time. Got some different people in here. Welcome to the whatever this time zone is for you. Welcome and thanks for being here. And uh, we'll be back at eleven thirty Eastern next Tuesday. Check out the links at the bottom to dive in more deeply to what I got going on. Um, you can. You can. There's a link where you can. Um, you can get this. These episodes delivered to you by email. There's a lot of stuff down there. That's the solid retreat I mentioned, European retreat coming up. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all so much. Thank y'all for being here. See you in the next now.